Chapter 15. Miggery Sow. There are all kinds of princesses. Some are born that way, some are married into it, and some are destined to be princesses only in their own minds. No one would mistake Miggery Sow for a princess, certainly not while she was on her hands and knees scrubbing the marble floor of the great hall. Even when not on all fours, Mig, as she was called, bore an unfortunate resemblance to a pig. Her nose turned up, her cheeks puffed out, and her body was more than a little porcine. Mig scoured the floor with a coarse brush back and forth, back and forth. It was hard and tedious work, but every now and then Mig took a break and gazed up at the top of the hall's long staircase. Above the stairs, a portrait of Princess P adorned the wall. The painted P looked down upon the palace in all her fairy tale loveliness. Pretty princess, Mig thought dreamily, imagining, her, imagining herself in such a portrait. But when she went back to scrubbing, all Mig saw was her own sad face reflected in the marble floor. Miggery Sow wasn't born into royalty, and who'd marry her? But at one time or another, almost every little girl longs to be a princess. Not so long ago, a girl had slogged through the mud, scattering feed to a throng of pigs. She wiped her nose, smearing mud across her face. The little girl lived in squalor, on a pig farm, with a front yard full of slop. But in the distance, a castle glowed with a dazzling light, and the girl was comforted by the sight of it. I'm going to live right there, the girl said, pointing out the castle to one of her pigs. The pig snorted. Right up there near the tippity top, she said. Ah, quit your daydreaming, a man covered in slop screamed into the girl's ear. The daydreaming girl was Miggery Sow, and the slop-covered man was her Uncle Ned. Uncle Ned screamed loud, and often. He screamed so loud that his words began to sound like a shrill ringing in Mig's head, and he screamed so often that soon Mig didn't even hear the ringing anymore. Instead, a soft, angelic note echoed in her own imagination. Feed those swine, Uncle Ned yelled. Yes, I know, said Mig, still staring at the castle. It's going to be all mine. No, you deaf little urchin. I said, feed those swine. Miggery Sow had been shoveling slop for as long as she could remember. Her Uncle Ned had put a shovel in her hand from the minute she could hold one. She didn't mind too much. She got on quite nicely with the pigs. Pigs could be counted on. Pigs didn't scream. Plus, they were excellent listeners. Mig plopped down in the muck, and the swine gathered around, nuzzling her as she spoke. That's right, Mig told them. I'm going to have a special room just for me dress, and another whole closet just for my knickers. In fact, Miggery Sow could see her future very clearly. She could see the tiara, the fancy dresses, the maids in waiting, and when things got really bad around the farm, she could see the moment when she would finally be delivered from it all. As the years passed, Mig only grew more convinced that she was destined to reside in the castle, even as she herded the hogs into their sty for the umpteenth time. Not long now, Mig told them, I promise. So there she was, getting the last hog in the sty when she noticed a visitor. Uncle Ned was talking to a man that she'd never seen before. Meg wiped some slop from her forehead, accidentally wiping more slop onto it, and listened closely. 21 for the big boxers, 15 for the sow, and 12 for the girl, the man said. 15 foot girl, counted Ned, same as sow. Before she knew it, Meg was being carried away, along with the pigs, on the back of the man's ox cart although it was difficult to tell Mig and the pigs apart, all squished together as they were. 
The cart pulled her through the broken-down gate of Uncle Ned's slop-filled yard and headed for that glorious castle in the distance. I told you, Mig told her pigs, I told you I'd make it to the castle, Woohoo! So sometimes it doesn't take much for your dreams to come true. You just have to be able to see it that way. And from the back of the cart, Mig took one last look at the farm. She tried to straighten her hair and wipe the muck off her face, accidentally wiping more muck onto it, to make a good impression at the castle. And now, there she was. Meg sat on her knees and looked down at the tired, dirty face reflected in the marble floor. Yep, she said to herself. I'm living in the castle, all right. Then Miggery Sow snorted and went back to work. Chapter 16. A Mouse in Love Despero danced, flipped and swooned all the way from P's bedroom back to his own. Furlow waited for him at home. He'd wanted to hear more about how Despero had nibbled the page and how it had been quite tasty too with a fine snappy crunch. But Furlow heard something else entirely. She was beautiful, Despero said, like an angel. You are crazy, said Furlow. And she smelled so amazing, Despero continued, like a garden. Despero, you can't talk to a human. That's the worst thing you can do, Furlow said, throwing his paws up into the air. No, it's the best thing I ever did. They'll throw you in dungeon. You'll get eaten by the rats. Oh, it would be worth it, said Despero fiercely. They could tear at my flesh. He fell back upon his matchbox bunk bed and stared at the ceiling, lost in his own romantic tale. Oh, this is bad, said Furlow. And when she held me in her hand, it was so soft. It was like floating on a pillow. You know what? I'm worried about you. That's the point, Furlow. Don't worry, there's nothing to be afraid of. Quiet, Furlow pleaded. They'll hear you. Come on, just try it, said Despero. Just for a second. Just try to be brave. At the sound of the word brave, Furlow hunched into a small, shivering ball. And stop cowering, said Despero, which only made Furlow curl up tighter and cover his face with his paws. Furlow was known to have above-average cowering abilities, but what he heard next made him cower to his utmost potential. From the doorway came a sudden and very angry voice. "'What's going on in there?' the voice demanded. The mice jumped and turned to see their father. "'What's all this talk about princesses and, 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 and bravery?' Lester asked. Despero and the cowering Furlow looked at each other. What could they say? Lester Tilling had heard every word. "'Furlow, I want to see you in my study right now,' ordered Lester. In the study, Furlow spoke to his parents. His words caused them to twitter and tremble. Lester paced back and forth, nodding occasionally and cringing often. But Furlow's last comment caused his father to stop in his tracks. Are you sure? Lester asked. That's what he said, answered Furlow. A, a real human? A princess, Furlow said, hiding behind shaking paws. We, we need to tell them. We, we, we need to tell the Mouse Council. But they'll... Antoinette said, unable to finish. This is bad, said Lester. This is very bad if they find out. If they find out, they didn't find out. Oh, and then they'll find out it was me who didn't tell them that they didn't find out that they found out. Oh, no. But will they send him to the dungeon? Cried Antoinette. He'll get eaten by rats, Furlow added hysterically. No, not if we beg. If we really beg, said Lester. And show them that he's changed, that he's afraid, that he's afraid and he's turned into a real mouse and... Thurlow and Antoinette quivered with dread, afraid to watch what Lester was about to do next. Despero, Lester called out. 
Tillinghouse was silent. Where is he? Lester asked. Despero was not at home. Despero was, at that very moment, running back towards the mouse hole, towards the princess, and light, and adventure. While not so far away, someone watched the mouse flee. If only the mayor had not seen Despero leave, the next part of the story might have turned out quite differently. Chapter 17. A Man or a Mouse Of course, destiny is a funny thing. We go out to meet it, sometimes even when we don't know that we are. A wide open page spread out before Despero like a vast land. Its first line of print was a road that promised adventure. The mouse travelled over the landscape, reading as he walked. The storybook knight galloped across the countryside towards a castle in the distance. The fair princess was still waiting by her window. The knight thundered toward her, and he stormed across the drawbridge and into the castle courtyard. He flew off the saddle, drew his sword, and bravely made his way towards the princess. In her chambers, the princess turned as the valiant knight burst through the door. Their eyes met. Neither moved for a moment. They ran towards each other and... Despero Tilling! Only this voice was not soft and light like that of a storybook princess. This voice was cold and brittle and quite real. Despero wheeled around. Three elderly mice, led by the mayor, stood on the page. The members of the mouse council looked down upon Despero with scornful, beady eyes. The mayor looked gravely from the mouse to the book. How long have you been working on this book? he asked, inspecting its spine. Um, a week, Despero answered. The mayor frowned at the abundance of perfectly good glue still remaining. A week? You've hardly cracked it. Well, I was... I just wanted to see how it ends, Despero said truthfully. This, as you might have guessed, was the wrong answer. Back in the mouse world, a huge crowd was forming. News of a mouse council arrest spread quickly. Mice ran from their homes and swarmed to the town square. They all clamoured just inside the mouse hall to get a better look at the prisoner about to enter. When he arrived, mice had to stand on park benches to catch a glimpse of him. The prisoner was so small it was nearly impossible to see him amongst the council escorts and two burly guards. The spectators pointed and whispered the captured mouse's name. You see, Despero Tilling was no longer an anonymous mouse, free to stare out the window and daydream. He was now a mouse accused of, and about to be tried for, unspeakable crimes. In no time at all, Despero was seated in the Mouse Council courthouse. Fashioned out of a grand silver humidor, the courthouse was designed to make a mouse feel small. Polished walls went on forever, and the sky-high ceiling was decorated with the ornate seal of the cigar company. And to ensure that a mouse felt smaller still, the Mouse Council sat at a long table that loomed high above the accused. At the head of the table, the mayor recited Despero's crimes. Refused training as a mouse. Refused to respect the will and guidance of elder mice. Repeatedly engaged in bold and unmeek behaviour. Triggered, willfully, not less than 17 mousetraps. Here, the mayor paused dramatically while the audience murmured, and Despero smiled slightly to himself. Had personal contact with... With... The mayor paused again. With a human being, the crowd gasped. Despero Tilling, the mayor said. Are these charges true? Uh, yeah, I think so, Despero said. And then, trying to be helpful, added, but I lost track of how many mousetraps. Do you understand the penalty for associating or conversing with a human being? The mayor asked, his voice thundering down upon the little mouse. Now where, you might be wondering, were Mr and Mrs Tilling seated during this inquisition? 
Lester and Antoinette were at home, too overcome with worry to watch. By the living room window, Lester, cow- Lester cowered and rocked, cowered and rocked, and rocked and cowered, with his wife rocking and cowering beside him. Isn't there something you can do? Antoinette asked, looking back towards the courthouse in agony. Antoinette, stop, said Lester, wringing his little paws. Stop that. You have to trust them. They're, they're, they're their counsel. They're the counsel uh, because, well, because, well, because they're the counsel. Chapter 18, The Threadmaster. Is there anything you wish to say in your defence? The mayor asked Despero. The mouse glanced around the courtroom, and perhaps the first time, for perhaps the first time in his life, Despero felt small and afraid. Well, it was a very good story, and, he said, she was a very beautiful princess. So you admit you had contact with a human being? Yeah, Despero said, smiling at the memory of P's kiss. I did. The audacity of his last statement set up a whole new round of murmurs. The judges huddled to consult amongst themselves at once, and their verdict came swiftly. Despero Tilling, said the mayor, the judgment of this court is not an easy one, but it is clear. Our laws are here to protect us and our way of life, and when one of our citizens strays from that way of life, he becomes a threat to all of us. It's an easy question. Are you a man or are you a mouse? And your actions have told us you have a great deal of trouble being a mouse. It is the judgment of this court, the mayor continued, that you should be banished from these walls forever. You should be remanded into the custody of Hovis the Threadmaster, who will prepare you for your descent into the unknown world that lies beneath us. You should be exiled alone into the dungeons of Dor, from which no mouse and no light has ever escaped. Is there anything you wish to say to clear your conscience or your soul? The mayor asked Despero. I don't think so, he replied. Very well, said the mayor. And that, as they say, was that. There was no time for goodbyes and there wasn't any there, anyone there to say goodbye to. Despero had to leave immediately. Hovis, the threadmaster, was waiting. Parum, parum, parum. A slow and steady drumbeat accompanied Despero's march from the courthouse. The town square was jammed with mice. It had been a long time since a mouse was exiled, and at this rate, who knew when the next one would be? Mouse guards escorted Despero through the dense mob, and the other mice gasped and cut a wide path for him as he passed. A few hooted and jeered. Hidden among the crowd, Lester and Antoinette Tilling watched too. Despero, Antoinette cried. Shh, said Lester. My baby, she wailed. Quiet, dear, whispered Lester. There's nothing to be done. Despero's parents could only watch as their son was led towards the back of the mouse village. He was entering the darkest part of the mouse world where few lived and fewer travelled. Certainly no respectable mouse. The streets dwindled into dusty alleys and the buildings turned back into what they once were. Broken urns, rotting shoes and other general trash. At the edge of this neglected part of town the crowd fell away. No one was willing to tread any closer to either the darkness or the fearsome looking mouse who led the prisoner. The guards thrust Despero at Hovis, the threadmaster, and then turned and ran away as fast as they could. Despero looked up at the threadmaster, who was shrouded in a long leather coat and a black hood that hid his face. He was an alarmingly large mouse, especially next to his tiny prisoner. Hovis turned and led the mouse across a narrow bridge. At the end, they came to the door of an upside-down glass dome, the threadmaster's lair. Hovis motioned abruptly for Despero to enter. In the distance, 
the crowd could barely watch. Despero stepped into the dome. Inside was an old, broken sewing box. The lair was gloomy and cramped. In every direction, spools and spools of thread rose above the mouse in frightening towers. To Despero, the thread looked as thick as rope. He shivered, knowing it was all used for one sinister purpose. Stand there, Hovis said, pointing to the top of spool thread. He seemed to study Despero for a moment, and then he selected a spool of red thread and pulled out a couple of lengths. Red? Despero asked. Hovis took a sharp knife from his belt. So they tell me, he said swiftly, cutting the thread. Despero looked closer at the large mouse. Hovis had not selected the thread by sight, but touch. The threadmaster was blind. In one fluid movement, Hovis expertly tied the thread tightly around Despero's waist so that its length streamed behind. So you're the brave one, Hovis said. I guess, said Despero. Hovis finished the knot. That's good. It'll carry well down there. Despero looked at the long scarlet string that followed him. Wear it proudly, said the large mouse. There's no shame. Despero nodded. It's time, said the threadmaster.